There are certain weeks of in the life of a pastor that are pretty pretty fun. There are challenging weeks, uh, of course, just like anything that you would partake in, but this is one of those weeks that was incredibly exciting. And uh, I wanted to share a couple of things with you. It's, you know, when we um, did the, the work day here, how many of you were here for that, uh, the work day? And we, we uh, like, we sweat a lot, because uh, we did a lot. We went through a lot of things to accomplish around here in Catalina, and this week we had the privilege, we had uh, a friend of ours do lunch for the new teachers, and we got to interact, and I, I've spent some time with TUSD in the last uh, week or so in a project that they had, and at John B. Wright with the backpacks this week, and I just wanted to share kind of an update of what I'm hearing, because it it's all from you and from us and from the partnership that God has us in. And it's exciting because this week, uh, Taz and Pablo and Kathy, who are the principals here, uh, as we're talking to these new teachers, and this is just the lunch that we provided. We kind of didn't say anything. And all of a sudden, they call us up there. And, you know, Taz, if you haven't met Taz, he's, he's a big guy. Um, I'm not. Um, so, like, he dwarfs me when he hugs me, and, and he just talks about this church. He talks about you. And he talks about what it means to have you here. To the point of like, you know, I know we're supposed to separation of church and stay, but we don't care. And just and like and just talking to these new teachers and for Pablo to stand up and to say, you know, um, there's a lot of people in the world that talk, but Element City Church backs up what they say and they follow through. And for a principal to say that about you guys is amazing. You know, for Kathy just to kind of talk about everything that goes on here, and I'm using names because these are people that are dear to us, and I'm using names because these are people we pray for, these are people we care about, these are great leaders here in this school, and then to be around the TUSD district office and to hear like upper echelon leaders talk about uh, one board member stopping and saying, hey, you guys are doing an amazing job at Catalina High School. We're blown away that you're there. We want you to stay. Okay, this is a board member of like the largest school district in Tucson and the second largest in the state. Talking about a church wanting the church to stay there. Like, you should be excited about that. Like, that doesn't normally happen, okay? That's not like a run-of-the-mill type thing that doesn't happen like every other Tuesday. Um, Kathy wrote me a note that she wanted me to read to you. Uh, and so on behalf of Kathy, the principal here, she said, uh, Catalina High School is so blessed to have you watching over us. And I thought, I just, I love that terminology. So blessed to have you watching over us. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all you do for us. The grounds look amazing. Thanks for your cleanup. Don't ever leave us. God bless you all, Kathy Shaw. And I thought, how cool is that? So can we just give God a hand for what he's doing in the midst of, so. We're just trying to be faithful, just trying to, to walk through the doors that uh, his opening, you know, the Workday Project, we, we kind of filmed the video, we put it up there, and then TUSD shares it on their Facebook and on their Twitter, and I'm kind of like, whoa, that's odd. Uh, and then I have, like, principals texting me who are going, hey, we love that, would you like to adopt our school? <laughs> just, I'm like, uh, um, not yet, and, um, but, 
like principle of John B. Wright for Christian to, to brag about us and for him to talk about just the 450 plus backpacks that we gave on Wednesday. And remember, we serve people because we want them to know God is for them. We don't try to get something from them. We're just trying to serve people. We're just trying to love people and let them know that God actually knows their name. He cares about them. And whatever results come from that, that's totally up to him. We just want to love people well. And we're trying to do that in tangible and practical ways. And you guys are doing an amazing job doing that. And we're gonna continue to be faithful, just walking through the open doors and opportunities that God gives us. Because in a lot of ways, this fits with our mission. And uh, tonight, I wanna spend just a few minutes talking about our mission as a church. And so if you're new to Element City Church, maybe you're new back to church, and uh, man, welcome. Glad that you're here. I'm Jack, one of the pastors, and we'd love to connect with you. We hope this is a place where you can kind of put down some roots and and find life and find this to be life-giving to you. And tonight, you're gonna kind of hear our heartbeat, what we're about, why we aim in this direction, what motivates us, what makes us tick, and I wanna share a little bit about that unpack that a little bit and then challenge you this week to do, to take 10 minutes and to kind of drill down for yourself, how do we begin to live this out? And so that's kind of where we're going these next few minutes and we'll take communion together. If you want to participate in that, we'll end with a couple songs and that's our night, okay? So if you're new, that's where we're going. Here we go. So our mission uh, at Element City Church, real simply is this, we are always about this, inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. Everything we do is about that. Everything we do is about that. From whether it's e-groups and groups that meet together to do life together to help sharpen each other and help pull each other into their next steps of faith, whether that's how we serve kids and to let them know that God is for them and he has a plan for their life and that he's wanting to be integral and be interwoven and to be a part of that, whether that's how we do that with our youth, whether that's how we serve in our community, whether that's what we do on a Sunday night when we gather to worship and to look into God's word, everything we do is about inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. It's about a first step with him and about continual next steps with him. That they would continue to grow and that you and I would be challenged into to take some steps and to move forward in that. That we want to be a people that aim that way. We're about inviting. And that's, that's critical in our day and age because um, we're not gonna be a church that just broadcast, we're not gonna be a church probably that ever buys a billboard. And does so we're not about broadcasting. We're about inviting. We're about inviting people, relationship connection to relationship connection. And as God opens up opportunities, inviting people into to take and to experience and to understand what's going on. Because ultimately, we are carriers of the gospel and the message of Jesus. And the church is not a building, it's a people. The church is not just a people, it's a movement. It's a movement that Jesus initiated. Jesus, as the revelation of God, come to say the church is to now be the representative of God in this world, that people might see who he is and what he's really like, and to begin to point people to him, to point people to Jesus, that they might know him. That Jesus has come, that we might have relationship with God. The reality is we're broken, sin's a part of our picture, we can't make our way to God in and of ourselves, but God took care of that. He sent a plan, he made a way. And there's a few passages 
in the, the Bible that are kind of key to our church. So we've looked at a couple of these in the past, Luke chapter four, Luke chapter five. Uh, I spoke on a, a few months back. I wanna go back to Luke four, and then I wanna look at a passage in the Old Testament that kind of puts a little bit of tangibleness and some handles to what this is. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter four, and it'll be on the screen here a little bit too. So Luke chapter four, uh, Jesus has been preaching, teaching, he's been uh, doing miracles, he's been kind of walking through and kind of going through all this, starting the beginning stages of his ministry, and he comes back to Galilee, and he's handed a scroll when he goes to the, the temple one day, to the synagogue, and he's handed the scroll, which would have been customary, he was a traveling rabbi, and they would have handed the scroll to him, and he reads these words from Isaiah, and it's quoted here in Luke chapter four. Here's what he says. Uh, he went throughout Nazareth, came back. The spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus reading. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to those who are prisoners. The recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I just want you to hear those words again. This is the proclamation that Jesus is saying, here's why I've come. He's quoting from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the tent, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were upon him, and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is paramount for us to understand. In that moment, Jesus is declaring, here's why I've come. And the church you, me, us, the church is to be proclaimers of that message to our generation. We are to continue to herald the proclamation that Jesus initiated, that he revealed, that he put on display in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, where he backed up what he said. And he said, here's why I've come. And then he initiates the church and he sends the church out to live as active agents in his story that it's unfolding. And he's saying, continue this proclamation, inviting people to understand that if they're lost, if they're wandering, and they want to come home, I've made it possible that they can come home. That if they're dealing with oppression and they need their burdens lifted, I've made it possible if they've been searching their whole entire life to find something of significance and meaning, then they're searching. I have made it possible to find it. And it's in the person of Jesus. It's not in a mission statement, it's not in a, a long list of rules or lists, it's all around the person of Jesus. There is no other name. The song you just sang points to the mission of what Jesus is about, and the church is to proclaim that mission. The church is a hospital for the hurting. For all those who have wandered can find out, those who have been wounded, those who have been broken by their own sin, broken by the sin of others, broken by just the reality of life and what they've had to deal with, can understand that they are separated from a relationship with God, but God made a way for that not to be the end of their story. 
for them to find a way home, that there's good news given, and that we can become a good news kind of people, and that as we live as good news people, we get to be as the church to champion that proclamation to our generation, to our here and now, to our people that we're connected with. And it matters, friends, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to understand that the year of the Lord's favor is still continuing, that life with God is possible, that forgiveness is available, that relationship with Jesus is still accessible, and that we can find our way home. Now, for some of you here, you might be like, okay, woo, that's a lot. Um, And maybe you're kind of new back to church, and that's cool. I really think it's awesome here. I know it takes guts to come to a new place and to understand that, and here's my hope and prayer for you. Even if that seems kind of distant, and it seems for you, your understanding of God is like, well, God's kind of distant, God's kind of distracted, he's never really been active in my life. I just want to invite you to get curious Can I just invite you to get curious about what some of us, maybe many of us here in this room, have begun to discover and understand that we've discovered something great in the good news of Jesus, that we've come to understand this greatness, and that this proclamation that Jesus started here in Luke chapter four, that the church is meant to champion, and that we're meant to continue to proclaim and to herald this good news, that we each have a role and a mission in that. Uh, I wrote this, we proclaim good news to everybody and we invite each somebody. The proclamation of the church, the way we serve our community is to say, hey, there is good news available. God's available relationship with God, God's love, his hope, his grace is available to anyone. And then we begin inviting each someone that we have a connection with, that God opens up the opportunities and opens up the connections with, and that we begin to show that the church is this movement of God on the planet, and we are meant to be enfolded into that and meant to play a part in that, that those in need would find every need they can have ever be met in Jesus, that those who are being held captive by addiction or by their past or things that they can't seem to get around can find freedom and begin to taste a new future because of Jesus, that those who are blindly chasing things in this world to find the meaning that they're searching for can actually begin to discover it in the hope of Jesus and what he extends and offers to them, that the year of the Lord's favor still rings out today, and we as a church are meant to champion that, and how do we do that? We invite. Now, some of you may be like, well, I'm not really good at inviting around spiritual things, because that, that's tough, like, you're, you're taking a lot of risk, right? When you talk to a friend at school, you talk to a, a coworker, you talk to a neighbor, you talk to someone that you're on a sports team with, you talk to someone, maybe you, you visit a particular establishment often, you kind of have a relationship, but it's tough to kind of go out on a limb and say, hey, would you just be in, would you just come? Like, would you just come and see what it means to me? And, and I know it takes relational collateral for that. I know there could be some fallout from that, isn't there? Anyone ever experienced fallout from inviting someone to church, right? Where it's like, okay, so there's a little resistance potentially that could be there, right? But the reality is you are naturally good at inviting people. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. 
you have invited someone to do something, okay? How many of you have ever invited someone to try a new restaurant that you tried? And you're like, hey, that was actually a pretty good place. Hey, and then you're like, naturally tell people about it, right? Or uh, how many of you have downloaded an app that you're like, hey, this app is really cool and it's helping me in life. It's a calculator. I've never had one of those before. And so like, you might find it helpful when you're trying to add something up at the store. Obviously being silly, but there might be an app that you may have naturally invited. There may be an experience. Like I know my dad uh, was traveling this summer on this long road trip back east, and he told me at one point he called and said, hey, we're going to the city of Chicago. And I was like, dad, oh, Chicago. Anyone been to Chicago? There is no better food in the world than Chicago, my opinion. So I said to my father, look, you have got to go to Giordano's. It's downtown. It's pizza as thick as your head. You have got to go to Giordano's. Oh, wait, you got to go to Maggiano's. Oh, wait, you got to go to Harry Carey's. That's a good place. Uh, you got to go, oh, Rosebud's. That's another, good, I've been there a few times, okay? It wasn't just one trip. Um, and I'm telling them all these different, but you got to go to that like bean thing, right? And I don't even call it a bean, but it looks like a bean, okay? But you got to go get there, like take a selfie, buy one of the selfie sticks, but just hide it. Um, just, and I'm telling them all these different places he's got to go. Why? Because I'm passionate about it. It was fun for me, right? It was natural for me to invite him to do something. And you've experienced that in life, where you've wanted to invite people to partake and do different things because it mattered to you and it changed you, and you just wanted to pass it on. So I want you to keep that in mind as we look at one of, um, I think, a, a weird story, an odd story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter seven. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, in the Old Testament, and it gets us this idea of inviting. So I just want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we look through the story and understand what's going on. Now, uh, a little background, the Syrian army had encamped around uh, Samaria, and they had put it under siege. Now, I don't know if you understand under siege, like maybe when you were a teenager and you were kind of sequestered to your room and you were grounded, you maybe felt like you were under siege, but the reality is you could leave your room and go to the pantry and get food and stuff like that. But a true siege is this reality that someone, an enemy army is camped around the city and there's nothing coming in or out. You're stuck. So uh, this January, we were in, uh, and we were in Israel and, and uh, it's down in the Judean wilderness near the Dead Sea, there's the place called Masada. And now Masada is this place, it's this peninsula, I don't know if I have a picture of it here. Um, there's this, it's peninsula, this is where Herod had built one of his summer palaces, okay? So on the top of this hill, that's about two, 300 feet up in the air, he had built one of his palaces and like, had one of those ancient spas, right? Where he built like 200 columns, he put stone on the bottom and he had water flowing through, hot water flowing through and the steam would come up. It was pretty ingenious for way back then. He had built this summer home. Well, in 70 AD, uh, the Romans march on Jerusalem, destroy Jerusalem, overtake it, and there's a few hundred um, Jewish soldiers that run down to Masada. They climb up, they beat the people that are there because it's just a summer home, so it's not guarded that much, and they hold out for three years 
up on the top, and you can read all about Masada online, and you can read from uh, about 71, about 70, 71 AD to about 73 AD. They're encamped up here on the top of Masada. They've got about 9,000 soldiers, Roman soldiers, encamped around them. You actually go up on the top of this, you can see giant squares where the Romans had built like little routes and like looking like ants from way up there. But they had built these encampments to, to put these people under siege, finally built a ramp after three years, walked up the ramp and, and overtook it. And they had, the Jewish people there had actually done a mass suicide because they didn't want to be captured. And they left all the food because they wanted people to know that they could have lasted longer. And so that's kind of what unfolded. You can read about Masada. That's a city under siege. So Samaria is under siege, so much so that you could read in 2 Kings 7 that like they're eating in a bon appetit of, um, what shall we say, pigeon uh, waste. Like that's what's going on the market, okay? So like you're not getting milk, you're not getting bread, you're getting boop. Okay, that's what you're eating, right? And you can read another really sad part of the story. You can read early on in 2 Kings 6 of just two moms and, and what has to unfold. And so you can begin to understand a dire situation here, a famine. Then you have four, um, four lepers that are outside the city. And what begins to happen is these four lepers get a plan the next day. Here's, we'll read about it. So these four lepers, starting in verse three. Now there were four men with leprosy. Now what is leprosy, right? A skin disease that's going on. And they, they're not even in the city, why? Because they can't be, right? They're not allowed. And so not only do they have a bad situation of the famine, they've also got a bad condition right, of what's unfolding in their life, what they've had to deal with. They've had to look out for number one for a long time. It's just been them. These four guys are looking out and they say, um, <clears throat> they say to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say, we'll just go over into the city, well, we're gonna die there if we go into the city. So let's just go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare our life, then we live. If they kill us, well, then we're kind of a day away from that here anyway. And so they're in this incredible dire situation. They go over at dusk, so at sunset, things like that. Uh, they go over to the camp of the Armenians. When they reach the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so much so that they fled during that day and no one Noticed. So this city that's been under siege by all these people camped around it, all of a sudden these people hear something that has spooked them to the point that they decide to run. They don't even pack up their bags, pack up their tents, pack up their livestock, nothing. They just run. Only God could do that, right? So they take off running. Um, <clears throat> the, the lepers go in. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered into one of the tents and they ate and they drank, and they found treasure, and they went out and hid it. And then they went to the second tent, and they ate, and they drank, and they found treasure, and they went out and hid it. Why are they hiding it? Wouldn't you? I mean, if you've lived with leprosy, and you've always lived with a scarcity mentality that you've gotta look out for number one, and you've gotta take care of yourself, because certainly ain't nobody else doing it, and so they've discovered something. 
But by the time they get to the third tent, here's what they've noticed. They kind of look up and they see row after row after row after row of tents. And they realize, even I, as a leper who is starving and living in a famine, cannot eat all the food that is here. And they have this revelation that they say to each one another. And they say, we have got to go share this news. We have to go back. So they went and called out to the city gate. In fact, here's what they say, verse nine. They said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. We have got to go back and share this, and so they do. And the story unfolds, you can read the rest of it, that the king hears in the city, the king of Samaria, he's a little reluctant, thinking maybe this is a sabotage, maybe this is a, a bait and switch type thing, and they send a few people out, and eventually the whole city comes out, and they, get to, they basically pillage and take everything that was left by this army that had camped around them and put them under siege, and everything is changed. Here's the point of the story. These four men were in a dire situation. They had a dire condition. They could not change it on their own. But God went to work and he did something they could never do. And they stumbled into the treasure of a lifetime. And soon they began to consume that and understand that and take everything in that they could. And then they finally realized they didn't have to live with a scarcity mentality. That the treasure that they had found was so big and so much that they had to go let other people in on it. Doesn't that sound like the gospel? Doesn't that sound like the message of Jesus? That our situation, our condition, so dire in nature, so lost, so struck, so stunned, we can't do anything on our own to fix it. Yet God notices and he goes to work. And Jesus comes as the revelation of God. And his life and his death and his resurrection paves a way to people that now have the ability to access a relationship restored with God through him. Of no work or effort on their own, this incredible treasure. That's why when Jesus tells the story of this guy who finds this pearl in a field and he sells everything just to buy this field, this treasure. Because it's a person who's beginning to understand the magnitude of the hope and grace and love of a God who created them, who knows them, and who is inviting them in to a relationship with him. See, here's the choice we have. It really comes down to two things. When I understand the grace of Jesus, when I understand the hope that he brings, I can either try to stockpile it all to myself, or I can share it. It's either or. And friends, the church has a mission. And I think for a long time, out of fear or resistance or struggle or hesitation, it's easy for Christians 
to live with a scarcity mentality. God only has enough grace for me and to want to stockpile it all to yourself. To visit tent number one and get a lot and then go hide it. And to get, visit tent number two and to get a lot and go hide it. But at some point you've got to see that there's tent three through 3,000. And there's enough grace and hope and love for you for the rest of your life. And you have a relationship with God and you are secure and you are set. And you have so much lavished on you that you've been invited now to invite others in on the treasure you found and that your discovery to be true. That's the point. That as a good news people, we don't stockpile. We share it. As a good news people, that's the bottom line. We've gotta become a people that share it, that just invite wildly that we invite in crazy ways, that we just invite people to come and see for themselves. Here's what I'm understanding. Here's the challenge for you this week, real simple. I think for some of us, the longer we walk with Jesus, we forget how great the treasure is. Psalm 103 says, praise the Lord and forget not his benefits. So here's the invitation for you this week. Take five minutes, just read through Psalm 103. Take a napkin, get out a note on your phone, get a piece of paper, and just spend five minutes listing out the benefits of your relationship with God. Not just salvation from your sins, not just uh, forgiveness of your sins or salvation that you get to have a relationship with God. How has God benefited you in your life? the people he's brought across your path, the ways he's invested into you, the way that he's been active in your life, the way that he's been loosed in a way that he helps direct your path. How have you benefited from having a relationship with God? And then flip the napkin over, the piece of paper over, go further down on the note on the phone and just spend another five minutes thinking and praying and asking God one name, Who's the one name, maybe two, maybe three, that I need to share this with? And God, would you just help me figure out a way to do that? Help me figure out a way to invite them. Maybe it's inviting them here. We'd love to partner with you in that. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just inviting them into lunch. Maybe it's just inviting yourself into their story. They're at a spot in their story where they're struggling, and you're just gonna invite yourself to say, hey, can I even just pray with you? and maybe you've never even gotten a chance to do that, do it. Take the next step and the opportunity to invite. A good news people, we don't stockpile, we share. And we share openly, we share freely, and we invite everybody, and we invite each somebody. That's what we're passionate about as a church. We're always about inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so as we take communion here in a minute, I'm gonna invite you uh, just to kinda lean into that, to think about that in this next bit of space as we take communion, as we worship together, and you and God have a conversation. And maybe the conversation starts now. God, what are the benefits of me being connected relationally with you, and that you've saved me, that you've brought me into this hope and this grace that is unending, It's limitless. 
and your love is relentless to me. Begin to wrap your mind and your heart around that in a fresh way. And begin praying and asking God to give you a name of somebody that he's been working, he's been at work in their life and he wants to use you to invite them into a next step of faith. And so Father, I pray, as we uh, take communion here, we just remember again that Jesus, you got actively involved. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't a God who shouted instructions. You came and gave a demonstration. And all along the way, you invited your followers, the earliest ones, even up to this generation, to be a part of your movement, to invite others to see you for who you are, to taste and see that you are good, and that you are a good news God who wants to infuse us to be a good news people and who, as a good news people, just willingly, naturally, just share that because we're the benefactors of someone who shared it with us. And so as we remember your life and your death and your resurrection, would you fuel us as a church, as Element City Church, would you fuel your church here in Tucson to be a rallied people who live with a passionate heart to share your good news with the people around us. God, I know our city is, I got a million people that don't know you, that you want to know. We need to share your good news. God, your world, so many people that you have a passion for, that you want them to know. Would you help us to be a people that share So Father, I pray that these moments would stir us as we worship you, we would give our best to you and that you would stir our hearts in this week to come. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.